good morning. How are we doing? If we haven't met, my name is Eric Hoffman. I'm one of the uh, executive pastors here at Fellowship, and so good, so good to be with you. I'd love to, love to meet you if we haven't, uh, haven't met yet. We are in the book of Ruth, so if you're just joining us, we, I think we have some of these books out front, but we're taking notes in these all along. You can also order these on Amazon. We just turned the, the chapter into chapter two, and so this morning we'll be entering in chapter two, 18 through 23. But I wanna kind of just bring in the context of this morning. I mean, the whole book of Ruth has been inviting us to see God's providential work of faithfulness, his hesed, his hesed faithfulness in the story. And, you know, as we sang in Waymaker, that is who you are. When we sang those lyrics of who God is, God himself says that of himself in, in Exodus 30, 34, six, he says, the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping your steadfast love for thousands. That is Hesed covenant faithfulness. So when we talk about Hesed, we're talking about God's loyal love and faithfulness. So chapter two begins with Naomi and Ruth. The story starts off, you know, very tragic. But in chapter two, the, the page turns and we see that it's just so happens, you know, God's provident, ordinary providence just so happens to be barley season. And it just so happens that Ruth steps into Boaz's field. And it just so happens that Boaz is a relative of Naomi. And so it just so happens, all of this just so happens. I mean, have you ever had a moment in your story where you thought it was just an ordinary day, just an ordinary circumstance of events, and then you look back in hindsight and you're like, man, that was a catalytic moment that I met this person, that I happened to be at this place, that I happened to be introduced to this person, something like that. Has that ever happened, happened to you? Well, I was thinking about this this week and uh, of my story and thinking about God's ordinary providence and how he has shown his, his faithfulness in, in my story in ordinary ways, just ordinary ways. And so I'm gonna tell the story of the just so happened part. And I don't think I've shared this story much of, of how, I, how I came to fellowship, but um, in 2000 and I think this is 2010, uh, Melissa's sister, uh, her youngest sister is getting married here in Franklin. And so the, the wedding happened on Saturday. We had rented out, uh, just so happened to rent out Cottonwood Clubhouse the next day. And uh, the neighborhood has a, a clubhouse, has a pool and all, all that kind of thing. And so we're, we're there enjoying the day. We just had our son, Luke. Um, and so we have all, we're gathering up all the toys. And you know, when you're traveling with a young, as a young parent, it feels like you're moving a whole house. You know what I mean? And so we're, we're packing, up, packing up the car and we're almost out of Cottonwood's neighborhood. And we forget that, we, forget that like, we had left a toy back in the clubhouse. And we're like, it's one of those things where how significant is this toy to turn back and go five minutes the other direction versus you know, just keep going. And so we debated that for a second. And then we're like, okay, we just so happened to make the decision to turn back around. Well, Lloyd Shadrach just so happens to live in Cottonwood and just so happens to be walking his dog Pearl at the exact moment that we pull back in and he's talking to my father-in-law, Larry Kayser. And I get out of the car and it's this quick two-minute introduction. You know, hey, I'm Eric, you know, we're in Tuscaloosa. He knew the pastor I was working at in Tuscaloosa. And that was it. We get back in the car and we leave. Two weeks later, Lloyd calls up and says, hey, we're thinking about launching a campus. We would love for you to interview for that position. And you just so happened to be sitting in this room at Franklin campus. 
But I mean, you could look at that story and just say, oh, that's just coincidence, that's just luck. You could look at the story through the lens of self-sufficiency and say, Eric, you must have been so impressive that that two-minute conversation Lloyd wanted to interview you. You could. Um, but you also, you know, honestly, as I look back on my story, um, I'm gonna bring out my Hesed glasses. And I look back on my story, honestly, with the lens of God's faithfulness, of his providence in ordinary ways, of bringing uh, about his, his purposes in, in my life. And so I'm gonna tell, the, we're gonna walk through the story of Ruth today uh, in, in chapter two. And I want you to be thinking, the reason I got these funky looking glasses is because when I want you to think back the story of Ruth, I want you to think about the lens of looking through the lens of your story with God's hesed faithfulness in your life. The, the lens of choosing to look, to put on the lenses of looking at your life, of God is at work, his ordinary providence is going on and to be able to put on the glasses of his loyal love, to be able to choose to, to view your story in, in that light. And so I'm gonna walk you through and how I think it's happening in Ruth and Naomi's story uh, with Boaz. And, and today is a foreshadowing of what's gonna happen, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna invite you to have eyes to see your story through God's covenant faithfulness, through his, his hesed love. And so that's what we're gonna do this morning. I would love for you to stand as we read God's word today. We're in uh, Ruth chapter two, uh, 18 through 23. If you can follow along with me. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, beside, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the living word of God for us today. You can have a seat. So this text is, uh, if you've read the whole story of Ruth, which I, I really wanna encourage you to read it all in one sitting, but if you've read the whole story of Ruth, you realize what happens at the end of the story, that this is a foreshadowing of the redeeming work that will happen in chapters three and four. So I'm setting up the context of what's gonna be fleshed out in chapter three and four of Boaz being a redeemer um, to them. So Ruth, we are able to see uh, in Ruth and Naomi's story, we're, we're looking at their story in hindsight. Okay, what I wanna challenge you to do is think about if you were Ruth and Naomi, what, how would you be experiencing these events that are happening in, in their life? Okay, they're, they're happening in real time to them, but we're looking back with the lens of God's hesed faithfulness in their story. Okay, so we're looking back in hindsight what they're experiencing uh, right away. So in verses 18 to 19, let me just 
shape what's going on and set, set this up. So Ruth has gone out, it just so happens, gone, goes out into Boaz's fields. And Boaz actually uh, fulfills the, the, the law and the, and the command to leave the edges of the field for the immigrants, for the foreigner. And so Ruth is out there gleaning from that. Boaz decides to not just fulfill just what the law says, but it goes above and beyond an abundance of generosity and takes her in for a meal, fills her to, to where she has uh, leftovers to bring back, but doesn't just say, hey, just glean the edges. What does he say? He says, no, I want you to take these bushels and these, what we've threshed, and I want you to do it from there. And so she's able to take abundance back to Naomi. That's what's happening in 18 and 19. She comes in from the field after working in a long day of the field. And this is where we see a shift happening in Naomi. This is where we see a shift happening. She then uh, blesses, blesses God. Let's look at 2.20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or dead. This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So Naomi, when she first, when we first are entered into the story with, with Naomi, when she comes back to the land of Israel, what, what does she say my name is now? Mara, what, what does that mean? That she's bitter. Now she's, she's turning to see that God's hand is not against her, but she, starts, she blesses God and she blesses uh, Boaz. So here, here's the thing. She's beginning, we're starting to see a shift in Naomi's heart. We're starting to see a turn in her heart. Now, when she says, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or dead. Now, grammatically, when you're looking at the text, you could say that could be speaking of Boaz or the Lord. But I think because they just meant Boaz, I think Naomi, what she's, what she's seeing is, is the, the history of my life. I'm seeing that God's hand has been faithful. And that's a big thing for her to say based on her story. So this is, this is surely about God's kindness to her and what a shift that is. Now, Naomi then finds out, okay, it's Boaz whose field she's worked in. It's Boaz who's been so generous to her and she's thrilled. And she, she mentions that Boaz is a redeemer. Now, if you're reading from another translation besides the ESV, your, your Bible might say kinsman redeemer. Does anyone, if, if you're reading for a different one? Yeah, your, 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 the scriptures say kinsman redeemer. Now, I'm gonna unpack a little bit of what a kinsman redeemer is. It's gonna get spelled out for us really specifically in chapter three and four. But what I'm gonna do is, is talk about more the foreshadowing of what this redeemer clearly was. Now, what is a kinsman redeemer? Well, in the, in the book, in the first five books, the, the Pentateuch, the law, the Old Testament, the law of Moses, God had set up these provisions and protections for when, when these things would happen uh, that were tragic in people's story, that he would set up these provisions and, and, and God in his wisdom and his grace um, is, is doing this. And I'm, I'm gonna unpack a little bit of what he's doing. So if you're taking notes, Leviticus 25 uh, verses 25 through 55 is one of these places in the law that this, this shows up. And in this place, it's a kinsman redeemer. So a relative would be obliged to buy back um, actual people or, or land that was sold into debt uh, to pay off a debt. They would sometimes sell themselves into slavery to pay off a debt. So God 
does the, this thing through a kinsman redeemer of if somebody came into this place where they, they had debt that they owed, they would then sell themselves into slavery to pay off that debt. Now, why does God set up this kinsman redeemer? Now we have to think this is totally foreign of our, con- our context of how we, how we even think or operate. So we have to put ourselves in ancient Jewish time in their culture, in the covenant law of Moses, okay? So God is doing something here that is, is for protection and provision. He's doing it for protection provision in a couple different ways. When people get into a place like this, where they, they had a debt and they, and they choose this means to pay it off, God sets up this, this place of knowing that if, if that happens, then there is no inheritance to hand on to the next generation. If they don't own land, if they're in slavery, they can't hand something over. And so this is a, this is a form of thinking about generational wealth. If somebody doesn't have access to own land, doesn't have access to own something to be able to give the next generation, that's how, that's how generational wealth works. We saw it in our own country when, when slavery happened, that when people couldn't own land, could not then inherit something to then pass on to the next generation. Generational wealth could not happen. So God is doing something to stop injustice from happening, stop exploitation. And we're gonna see this unpacked just a little bit further in, this, in the second place that Kingsman Redeemer uh, comes up. Again, if you're taking notes, Deuteronomy 25, five through 10. God's heart for the oppressed, God's heart for potential people to be exploited, his justice is, is unbelievable in this. Another circumstance would be if you were married um, and the, the husband dies and you have no children, okay? There's a couple things going on here. They, then you would be obliged to, to marry. So you've probably read this in a couple different Old Testament stories where a brother would die and then it'd be like the brother was supposed to marry um, the, you know, his sister-in-law to, to pass on the line. Okay, well, what's going, what's going on there? Well, let's think about like, okay, so where are they? They're in God's provided land. So if they give up their land or there isn't, there isn't an heir to pass on the name, then that land would be gone, right? So God is setting up again, protection for people in, in circumstances where it'd be easy to get exploited. Now we know in, in looking at, at human history, when people who are living in, they're living in what time? The time of the judges. Do you remember what that means? Everyone was doing what? What was right in their own eyes. So this is a time where people were doing wickedness and evil to one another. This is a time where the people, and we just, we just read it, where Naomi says to Ruth, don't go into somebody else's field, right? Because you might be assaulted. So there, who is gonna pay the price when wickedness starts to happen? When people start to not treat other people as created in the image of God, but start to treat other people as property and things like that women and children are gonna be the ones who suffer. So God in his wisdom is setting up provision and protection for the next generation. That's what, that's what God's, God's doing through Kinsman Redeemer. So uh, we're gonna unpack that later in, in three and four, but these provisions are speaking to situations of, of land loss and of death, okay? so. By the law, I mean, it, it kind of, when she starts saying Boaz is our redeemer, it's interesting that Naomi says Boaz is our redeemer because 
Boaz actually, according to the law of kinsman redeemer, doesn't have to do anything in this situation. Why? Because Ruth is not an Israelite. Their family has married outside of, of God's family. They've went outside of that. So Boaz actually doesn't have to, he's not a, a obliged to do anything in this situation. So it's setting up a foreshadowing of Jesus and the good news of the gospel in really beautiful ways I wanna unpack. Boaz, um, what was the law that, that Ruth was gleaning from the field? Well, to leave, the, to leave that part. What did Boaz do? He goes above and beyond the law. It says that he was a man of noble character. So I believe that Naomi is, is, is hoping that, that he will go above and beyond what the law even obliged. So why, why would Boaz be generous in this way? Why would, why would Boaz open up his, his hands and be generous to a Moabite, an in, enemy of God? Why would he do that? I think the only reason someone would do that if they understand God's faithfulness in their story, that God owns it all, that God is the one who has been gracious to him, that God is actually the one who's been generous to him, that's when he can open up his hands and say, it's not mine, it's all God's. Here, I'm gonna open up my storehouse to you. Someone I don't have to do, but I'm choosing to do so that you would see the hesed faithfulness of God. I think, that's what, I think that's what's going on. Now, the foreshadowing of Boaz being the redeemer. Boaz in this story becomes a foreshadowing of Jesus. He, he's the little R redeemer pointing to the big R redeemer, Jesus. And in this way, anytime that someone would be talked about in the redeemer, in the kinsman redeemer, it would come at a cost. It would come at a cost to purchase land or purchase the debt that was owed to free that person from bondage, right? To free that person from that situation. Boaz is gonna have to make a decision of the cost it's gonna take to bring on Ruth and Naomi. Now there's multiple things that he's gonna have to do, a cost of reputation, of financials, all those things. But I want you to think about what is this story? What is this redeemer piece foreshadowing of the whole story of scripture. It's foreshadowing us. Romans 5.8 says, God in his great love does what? While you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were yet an outsider, while you were yet far away from God, while you were yet living and doing what was right in your own eyes, while you were going to another field looking for provision, while you were not choosing God, God did what? Came for you. And he did what? He purchased your redemption. He paid the price that was owed for you to be free. Now, this is the amazing part of the foreshadowing that's happening here of our redemption, of Jesus being the ultimate redeemer. Ruth, if you read the gospel of Matthew and read the genealogy of Jesus, who shows up? Ruth. Ruth is gonna be in the genealogy of Jesus. She's included in because of this redeemer's paying the price and fulfilling this in her. She now becomes part of the line of Jesus. Now, how, how unbelievable is that? That this, this former enemy of God, this person that you know, it's, doesn't know God, now commits to following Naomi and your God be my God and now through the act of Boaz, we'll, we'll come back in and we'll see that in 
three and four. And, and here's what I say. It's not because of anything that Ruth has done. It's because of the faithfulness of God and his chesed love. So let's look at 2.22. And Ruth, the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to, her, to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest you in another field you be assaulted. Now, this is interesting. When I, when I read this, and I had, you, know, you read it multiple times when you're studying it, this one feels like such a no-brainer. Like, why would Naomi have to say to Ruth, don't go to anyone else's field? Like, of, why would she even think about that? Like, Boaz said, hey, stay with me my whole time. I'll, I'll provide protection for you. Like, all that, all, you know, glean whatever you want to glean. Like, his generosity is above and beyond. Why would, why would he point out, like, why would Naomi say to her, hey, don't go to another field? Well, think back of Naomi's story. When the story of Ruth opens up, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, what do they do? They're in the land, the provided provisional land, the covenant land, and what do they do? Starts out and they left God's land. And where'd they go? To the land of the Moabites, to the enemy of God, to the enemy of God, to be pagan worship land, enemies of God, that's where they went. Stay with me here. I think Naomi is saying to Ruth, don't do what we did. Don't go searching outside of God's provision for you. Don't go searching in another field, thinking that another field is gonna produce more. Stay in this field. It's good for you to stay in this field. Now, when I think about that, I'm, I'm just like, the hymn that we read, Come Thou Found, uh, the hymn that we sang, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, there's a phrase in there that always sticks out to me. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart and would you seal it, seal it for thy courts above. When I read this, I was just like, man, here's the three questions I, I asked. If you, want, if you want to write these down, um, I, I, just, I just sat with God in, in the midst of this and just said, you know, God, I... I have a heart that's, that's prone, to, prone to wander. And so here's, here's the three, three questions. Where do you have a tendency to look outside of God's provision? Where do you go to look for life in other fields? Where is it hard for, to, for you to stay and trust God is providing for you right here? I mean, that's, that's, I think that's what's Naomi. And there's a, there's a commentary that was just talking about their, their choice to leave God's covenant land and in his promises to his people to go to another land. And I think Naomi is bringing that up. It's good for you to stay where God has provided. And I, and I, think, it's a, I think it's a sign of, of a shift in her heart because we saw her bless God. We see her starting to turn from bitterness to blessing, from bitterness to hope. Um, so Naomi possibly could be second guessing or, or, or rethinking like why they left the land that they did. Uh, Ruth 2.23, let's keep, let's keep going. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Okay, so it's amazing when you start just reading scripture, like how, how you see the authors are so intentional with their words. They're, they're bringing phrases and repeating phrases uh, for a purpose, okay? So this is, this is like the, the second or third time in just the passage we read where it, it says that Ruth 
is the daughter-in-law of Naomi or Naomi is the mother-in-law of Ruth. Okay, so why does this keep, why do we keep hearing this phrase? Okay, we keep hearing this phrase that she's a Moabite that's, or an outsider. We hear that about five times in the book of Ruth, but this phrase keeps coming up. And then at the end, it says this, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So why state she lived with her mother-in-law? I think it's pointing out the fact that, that Ruth, although she's fed for the day, although that she has food and provision till the end of this harvest, her need is bigger than just food. Her physical need is that she's, she's not married. She's still, she's still living with a widower and she is an outsider in this land. She does not have a, a protector or a provision in, in a husband. She doesn't have that. And so here she is, this outsider in this land of people who are doing what's right in their own eyes. And it's a risk even to, for a, a woman like her to go out into a field. And so it's pointing to this greater need that she has beyond just food, but it's, it's just letting her know. And her circumstance is still, she's with her widowed mother-in-law. That's, that's kind of what it's stating here. But what is her bigger need? So if we're looking at, if we're looking at this passage that all of scripture is pointing to Jesus. All of scripture is pointing to Jesus as the redeemer. Every single story is pointing to our need of something bigger. There is a bigger story going on. If we will have eyes to see that God is writing a bigger story, that he's orchestrating and weaving together a story that's bigger than, than just what we're reading. We're seeing this in Ruth. I think that the thing that she needs to see that's bigger is that God is the one who welcomes the outsider. Her bigger need is that she would know that God is this faithful covenant God of his people and that he's gonna be faithful in this situation to Naomi. I believe that her bigger need is to know that God is compassionate father who sees and welcomes people home. So there's this bigger need going on, this greater need for redemption. And Boaz is foreshadowing this provisional promise of redemption. So our greatest need is not that we would have uh, food on our tables, is, is not these, these things that, that we typically would put a priority of our highest need. Our, our greatest need, we cannot meet in our self-sufficiency. Ruth can't meet this in her self-sufficiency. Our, our greatest need, it cannot be met in anything you or I can do for ourselves on our own. Our greatest need is for a redeemer who will pay the debt of our rebellion of turning to fields away from his provision. Our greatest need is what it would cost Jesus, that he would come and that he would pay the debt that we owe. Our greatest need is for a redeemer that would redeem our whole lives. Our very lives would be redeemed in Jesus. Now the temptation is to look at our story with our own, our own lens, our own glasses on. You know, and one of the things that, um, as, I was, as I was kind of thinking about this, and one of the things is we could look at Ruth's story, Ruth and Naomi's story, and we could look at it as, I mean, up to this point, a tragedy. I mean, we could look at it as, as their victims, you know, pain and martyr. And the thing I just want to encourage you is thinking about how do you typically look at your story? When you think back of your life, how do you typically tell other people of, of what's happened in your story? I mean, as many of us can have a narrative of, of a victim or, or maybe we're a martyr or, 
you know, nothing works out for me. Um, it seems like God's against me. You know, Eric, if you knew, if you knew like what I did and the consequences of my sin, like God doesn't want me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. You can, you can have the story of the lens of shame of, of all these things. There's just so many different ways of self-sufficiency. I mean, how many of us, when we tell our story, we say I a lot, right? We're like, I did this and then I did that. I did this and then I did that. And then I, did, you know, like the self-sufficiency is a sinner. You're the sinner of your story. I think the thing that we are being challenged in Ruth is to see that God is orchestrating a bigger story, that God is orchestrating a bigger story in everyday mundane ways. But when we put on the Hesed glasses, when we put on God's faithful, loyal love glasses, we see that God is not against us. We see that God is orchestrating a bigger story. We see a redeemer who is using all things to shape us and become like Jesus. We see that he is, he's not looking at our sin and condemnation. He is looking at us saying he wants to welcome us home. He's looking at those who suffer, the oppressed, and to say, I will be the person who wants to be the person who covers and protects and provides. He's looking at, he's looking at our story and he's saying, Jesus is the hero of your story. As long as you think you are the hero of your story, you will never put on these glasses. But Jesus is the bigger redeemer here. Jesus is the hero of your story. And so I wanna just encourage you, I'm gonna give you homework this week. Okay, here's our application. Here's our invitation to life. Here's two questions that I, I was thinking through that have been, been really helpful. When I'm thinking about the good news of Jesus, and I'm telling another, another person about my story, does my story point to the bigger redeemer? Is Jesus the hero of my story? Or am I putting myself at the center? So here's two questions um, that, I, that I, tend to, I tend to ask. And here's the questions, if we can put those questions up on screen. Here's the questions that uh, I want you, you to be thinking about and, and to write these down in, in your journal or, or take a screen capture of these. But when you have told your, your story in past, what role did God play in your story? So think about it. If you're telling someone your story, what role did God, did God show up in, in your story? And then the second question, how can you tell your story pointing to God's Hesed loyal love that he is the hero of your story? So what would it look like to tell your story with Jesus as the hero? What would it look like to guide someone through your story and to say, God was orchestrating and working and showing his faithfulness even in times when I was unfaithful. God was showing himself even in the hardest, darkest places of my story. And here's the thing, over and over and over again, as I've seen people come to put on these glasses and to see their story differently, the darkest places of their story have now become the greatest light of hope for somebody else. There's so many times where somebody walks through a dark season. It could be of, of divorce or loss of a loved one, of a spouse, of a child. It could be someone doing an injustice to them and wounding them. But when they choose to see that God is the redeemer who is not against them, but is for them and is working in their behalf and healing and redeeming, then they are starting to offer their story to other people. They're able to say, there is a redeemer and I wanna show you how he has redeemed my life.
He didn't take away all the terrible circumstances. He didn't make life easy. But let me show you my redeemer. Let me tell you my story. And so my hope is that this week, as you journal through those two questions, that you would be able to come to a place that points to Jesus as the hero of your story. Much like in the foreshadowing of this this passage that we see that is, is pointing to our ultimate need, pointing to our ultimate redeemer, that you and your telling of your story would point to Jesus, the hero of your story. I wanna invite you to stand with me and, and take your elements as you come to the Lord's table. And how fitting, everything that, everything that we talked about today, all, any, any points that made, everything comes to the work of Jesus on our behalf. So we come to the table seeing God's loyal love that Ruth went into the fields to glean, but God provided generously more. Jesus not only takes away what we deserve through his body broken for us and his blood shed for us, he allows us to be children of God. That through what he has done on your behalf, He has redeemed you with the price of his life so that you may become a son and daughter of God. He didn't just forgive your sins. He made you a son and a daughter that you would know a father that loves you, that is compassionate towards you, that is steadfast through generation to generation. And so Jesus, we look to him and we remember that his body is broken for us on our behalf, that we might be sons and daughters of God. What I love about Boaz being a picture of this small R redeemer pointing to Jesus is that Boaz willingly chooses to be generous and to be the redeemer. And Jesus went to the cross to give up his life for you and I, and he chose that. Take a drink. Father, as we remember and we celebrate what you have done, would we sing in response to your good work? Would you give us eyes to see our story through your Hesed loyal love, your faithfulness, beyond anything and in spite of us, your faithfulness, that you provided all that we need in you, Jesus.